a Highline podcast. We live in a complicated and fascinating world that invites us to dive deep into its intricacies. Exploring the ideas and events that excite, intrigue, irritate, and confound us is how we graduate our knowledge beyond meme culture. Join us over a cocktail as we expand our understanding and share in the beauty we find along the way. I'm Stephen Torna. I'm Kat Dwyer. And I'm Stephen Henning. Welcome to the Whiskey Bench. Hello. Hola. Welcome back, Kat. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. Good to be back. Miss a triumphal Hill. return. <laughs> Wonderful. You were out of town last weekend. That is correct. And I hope that it was a nice visit. It was. Minus the smoke, which you described as? Pea soup. Pea soup yeah. smoke. <laughs> Pea soup smoke, she said. And I'd, I'd never heard the term before, but wow, but that is we vivid. Understood. I knew. Yes. There is a color. There's also a texture to it, you know, like that you can see. Yep. Yeah. The smoke was pretty much mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Pretty nasty. Yeah. 104 degrees and... 200 plus whatever the measurement is for air quality oh, parts per whatever. Oh, nice. This year in particular, <laughs> <She's> like, <laughs> I have learned to pay attention to AQI a lot more. AQI. Yeah, air is. quality index. I've been paying attention a lot more because I, I mean, of course I can correlate it to things like a weird sore throat I wake up with in the morning because of that. Um, when the AQI mm-hmm. is bad, it's also been contributing to a handful of headaches that are very uncharacteristic for me. And I, I think I finally figured out yeah. that it is actually air quality. Oh, another, I feel like I talk about this podcast all the time on whiskey bench, but, um, Freakonomics did a fantastic episode <laughs> where they explore the possible correlation between air quality index and, uh, cognitive performance. Hmm. Oh, it was so crazy. Yeah, I mean, the implication is, like, make sure you're changing your air filters on your furnace and your AC. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we take, sense. we take good air for granted. Seriously, mm-hmm. seriously, we do. Yeah. We've got overall pretty clean air all across the United States. Mm-hmm. But that makes sense because if you figure you have uh, particles in your lungs, you have an immune response to that. And so your body's using energy and fighting. Totally. Clearing out your lungs. Mm-hmm. Like, don't see why that couldn't affect well your cognitive abilities. Especially in the, I don't know what the connection is there, but especially in this this beautiful big sky state of ours, we're very spread out. Like our air quality is darn near perfect most of the year when it's not wildfire season. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But like I feel the same sore throats and headaches when I go visit Denver for a few days because of the smog content. Like mm-hmm. it's the same yeah, reaction yeah. I have when I go to big cities. So. LA is particularly gross. Oh, yes, it is. Yeah. Oh. Big old basin. And it kind of sits there in sits the morning. Pea yeah. Soup. yeah. <laughs> pea soup, dirty That's air, a LA. Pea soup, capital. Yeah. yeah oh. Totally. <laughs> All right. So, Kat was out there sucking up the pea soup air. Yep. Henning, what'd you do this week? Anything? Oh, man. I We are uh, just about done recording all of our guest spots on Ravel. Is oh, Kat Dwyer's nice. coming up soon for that? That's right. Um, yeah. So just a bunch of podcast work. I had a meeting with 
a potential new sign to the Highline Network. We might have a new show mm-hmm. joining the family soon. So, well, that's neat. Also, exciting. also pretty exciting on that front. And then, so this weekend is going to be like our last down weekend for probably a few months, actually, because I'm going camping in Paradise Valley next weekend, and then I'm going to Salt Lake City the weekend after that. Um, right. Sweet. Just all sorts of trips, all sorts of stuff gearing up for this autumn fall season. What about you, Mr. Torney? You were like camping and fishing and all that beautiful stuff. Yeah. So we recorded and then I did some late night and early morning editing and then headed out for the weekend yes. and we went fishing up on the Blackfoot, uh, up between like Bonner and, and, um, Sealy area, which was awesome. Uh, went with Cody and Ben, some guys I work with, and it was Ben's birthday. So we just had an absolutely awesome time floating and fishing. They had caught some walleye earlier in the week, and Whoa. so we did a fish fry that night. Nice. So we did fried walleye with some Mexican street corn, drank uh, mint juleps, and then we just like drank beer and floated every day, caught some fish. It was awesome. It was it was really good. Sounds like heaven. And we just kind of... Yeah, we... I know Ben needed a break. I realized I needed a break and it was lovely. We just spent time together and uh, talked about things that matter and it was, it was very yeah. nice. Yeah. You deserve it after the summer you've had. Also, you definitely had your work cut out with you for, or you definitely had your work cut out for you for a two hour conversation we had with Alex and Kevin last week. Mm-hmm. Dang dude. Well done. That was fun. Cat, we missed you. I but. processed everything <laughs> on Friday night, and then I got up at three on Saturday. My God! And finished editing it and released it, and then I went camping Jeez, for the weekend, dude. That must have been a good feeling when you pressed like publish. Whatever, yeah, post. Get, I was yeah. Like, <laughs> Time to go pack. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was awesome. No. It was good. And it went so smoothly, which is great. yes. Thank you great. to Alex and Kevin from the Into Podcast for joining us yes. in Cat's absence, but. We're so glad you're back, Kat. Welcome back. Me too. I'm ready. That's probably the last time I'm going to not be here for a while. Oh, fantastic. That's good because we have yeah. uh, a handful a handful of like banger topics to talk about in the coming months and <laughs> yeah. stuff. So That's right. On that note, I will tell you that, of course, I'm drinking my customary Lagavulin Scotch whiskey. This is the 11-year-old still, the limited edition Offerman and it's wonderful again, as always. Mm. Very consistent, this whiskey is. Never lets you down. It, it really doesn't. What if one day it does? Yeah. <laughs> um, I rebuke the, nope. <laughs> I refuse. <laughs> It'll never happen. Well, tonight we are drinking the last word, a Prohibition era cocktail. Mm. I absolutely love this drink. We're both taking a sip. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, that's delicious and very well balanced. And this is where it shines is how well balanced it is. And it's, I don't know. So it was developed in the United States during Prohibition when liquor was very hard to get, let alone the fact that it has maraschino liqueur, which is an import chartreuse which is a french import some lime juice and gin and it's all equal parts three-quarter gin three-quarter chartreuse three-quarter maraschino liqueur three-quarter lime 
shaken, served with a Luxardo cherry, and it's the balance is incredible. It's just tart from the lime, but lime's a little bit less intense than lemon often, so that kind of helps. Yeah. Chartreuse has like the floral and kind of a, it's not licorice kind of, but it's more like a, a anise, mm-hmm. anisette um, kind of licorice. The, the maraschino liqueur is cherry, but it's not sweet. So it's like almost like an infused cherry and then the gin, a nice dry gin. Just, yeah, so well balanced. Mm-hmm. Mm. The mouth feel is yeah, there, so good. There's almost like this syrupy. And the chart- well, you, you took a little pool of chartreuse right. straight, straight from the bottle. And yeah. <laughs> it's so good. It's really thick. Yeah. Yeah, I would say it's, um, I think tart is probably what hits you first. Mm-hmm. And it's sweet, but, well, like we've said, in a kind of subtle, well-balanced way. And also just really refreshing, which I suppose for me is the gin and the lime. Yes. <laughs> really so refreshing. Good. And it's a beautiful color, you know, kind of this hint of green from the uh, chartreuse. Right. It's green chartreuse, to clarify, mm-hmm. not yellow. Oh, is there There's such a... yellow chartreuse mm, as well. I didn't realize that. Have we made you jealous, Henning? A little bit, but I got to tell you, this whiskey is hitting the spot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was about ready to just pour some whiskey because it's all rainy and cold here. Yeah, man. I was like, maybe we need a nice dram to warm us up this This is evening, classic, like, light a fire, put a robe hoodies on. hoodies and, and wool socks yeah. will fix. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. With a big, like, oversized armchair. Yeah. I just want a cabin. I think I'm describing my ideal cabin scenario. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Whiskey bar, open fireplace. One day, my retirement dreams right there. Maybe a bear rug, if you're into that. I personally am <laughs> not into that, but to each their own. Not for me. And you can, hide a, you can hide a bottle of Lagavulin like in its mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's be like a playboy let's, let's, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like open it, like God. lower, move its lower jaw and just like reach like elbow deep into it. This is where I had the good Pull stuff. Pull the liquor out like yeah. It's like a secret gun safe, but just whiskey safe. Right. Mm. <laughs> Very effective. Very effective. Yeah, because we have this weird, like, Pacific Northwest vibes for a few days with the rain and the overcast. Honestly, it's lovely today. The rain held out almost the whole day. So I was working outside, prepping this deck. We started packing at 4 to leave, and it started raining at, like, 4.15. Nice. And it was cool and just a sprinkle here and there all day. I could see my breath. I brought the jet boil and coffee, and so like three oh, times wonderful. I made three cups of coffee today. Wonderful. It was like, oh, you know what? It's it's kind of a calm day. Stop, make a cup of coffee. Three o'clock rolled around today at work, and sat down, and just had a good conversation with uh, a guy I work with, a good friend, and just had to talk about some trajectory of work and some important things in life. And we just sat for an hour, drank coffee, and just had to talk about some important things mm. then we're like yeah let's call it let's pack up we did our deed today amazing. sounds like a nice day it was a very nice amazing day. i love man the quality of there's something about jet boil coffee too 
I got a fresh bag of Papua New Guinea beans today. I brought my AeroPress, my jet boil, Amazing. little hand grinder. Amazing. Wow. It was nice. Amazing. Went all out. All out. <laughs> hey, this is what I do for camping, and I'm very excited for it next weekend. Get the good coffee and the yeah, breakfast. Yeah, that's going to be fun. Oh. Where are you guys staying again? Did you, did you know last time we talked I about this? I believe, I still have to verify it with my sister-in-law, but I think we're headed to uh, a spot in Paradise Valley. Right, but okay, so you don't have a specific no, spot? No, I'm Known yet? I am cool. the worst. Anywhere there is. I'm the worst at forecast. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't think that far ahead. I really should in some arenas of my life, but I don't. Like, my wife wanted to talk about our plans for like Christmas shopping this year. I'm like, Christmas is four months away. Why do we need to, <laughs> you know? That I couldn't handle, but <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, it's December 15th. Time to That's think about it. That's almost exactly how I operate. Very in the moment. Probably <laughs> Be like, I don't detriment. need to ship anything. So 10 days is ample. Right. Yeah. It's <laughs> very true. Very fair. No. Well, I... We'll open us up and just say, I just feel sad with the state of public discourse and this cluster mm, of a Middle East pullout. Um, I, in my entire life of thinking politically, which really I can track to probably episode one of the Whiskey Bench, because again, Excellent. I really, politics is really where I didn't put a lot of my thinking, or at least a lot of my thinking out loud energy and trying to articulate my own points, but foreign policy is still one that I just feel completely baffled by. I just, right now I just feel like everyone has completely screwed up, you know? I think it's fair to say there's a lot and of besides to go. Around. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how much I have to offer today other than just kind of, it's, it's despondent. Like, I'm not sure Trump could have done better. I don't think Biden handled this well. I don't think anyone handled this well. Also, the mm -hmm. the the confusion of, you know, polls saying uh, two thirds or more of Americans actually supported leaving, but now it seems like everyone's mad about leaving is confusing. Well, there was a I read today in the journal that there was a poll conducted like over the weekend and support for fully withdrawing dropped by like 20 points which is a pretty big wow drop. within the mm -hmm. last week is that what polling yeah. terms yeah i guess mm -hmm. we should say we are recording the evening of august 19th 2021 like correct facts, correct facts and, and events are still evolving fog of war yeah right? and usually i feel like we on the whiskey yeah. bench have gotten away from being uh, like reactive to current events. I mean, the last really big one I remember was us talking about the events of January 6th in DC. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, we've, we've kind of gotten away from it, but you know, especially in our private text threads, you know, there's a, there's a lot of emotions amongst the three of us. And we just thought it would be a good idea to kind of process and talk about what's on our minds here. Yeah, we thought it was definitely worth actually diving into a current event right away because there's a lot happening right yeah. now. Yeah. So I don't really know where to start this. I evening. have an idea. All right. I 
was wondering if we could start with the uh with the libertarian line that often says America should not be the world police and our responses mm-hmm. to that thoughts because I still I feel like there might be a way to nuance that that's probably right you know uh no I agree I agree with that and I've got some thoughts on that um I'll just say I was really disappointed in the libertarian take on this completely fumbled that's an understatement um withdrawal uh because i felt like they fell into the trap that um our other two main political parties often fall into and that i fault them for and that is the trap of presenting problems as a binary choice between something good and smart and something bad and stupid and um and and no issue really is can ever accurately be portrayed that way i i think but but this situation in particular most of the takes i heard were well we need to get out and it's going to be chaotic and it's not our problem mm-hmm. mm. and so you know so actually i applaud biden that was what most libertarians i i came across had mm-hmm. to say and in my mind they're intentionally ignoring the obvious option that wasn't taken and that is to do this drawdown in a more controlled, slow, thoughtful, well-planned manner. Right. At the minimum, get every American civilian and ally out right. before you scale down the military presence. So I think a good way to organize <laughs> this tonight is to, one, we need to talk about the ramifications of our actions that the Afghani people are going to take the brunt of. Mm-hmm. We need to talk about the national security issues that I think are going to arise from this. And then we also need to probably touch base on the signals that this has um, sent to China. Yeah. And the response to Taiwan recently. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very, very creepy. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot going on here. But I guess we'll start with the whole non- and we're not the world police and things like that. Uh, important context in Afghanistan. I don't think we've had a casualty in the last year. Over in a Af- year. In over yeah. a year. Mm-hmm. Um, which does say something about the kind of operations going on there right now. I don't think you can really call it a war at this no. point. Nor I don't think you could have called it that for the last several years. Yeah, it exactly. Was, it was a strategic presence. Mm-hmm. So that's important. I think mm-hmm. people need to realize mm-hmm. that. We have tens of thousands of troops in Japan and Germany. Right. Still. Right. <laughs> right. So. And, and something to consider, you know, we're not the world's police, but we do have allies. Yeah. And the Afghani people at this point were allies and are allies. And that's playing a huge role in, I think, how upsetting mm-hmm. this is. Well, in our, in our present... I'll just butt in for just a yeah. second. I want you to finish your thought. But like our presence there also in the last 20 years, we did in in part and with the help of allies create the conditions for, I mean, it's still and <laughs> obviously a bit of a basket case of a country, but it women's position in society changed mm-hmm. and improved. Mm-hmm. And we encourage that. And now that we've abdicated all responsibility, 
and turn them over to a brutal force, we've kind of put those women in an incredibly vulnerable position Mm -hmm. because they went out on a limb, got jobs, stopped wearing burqas, you know, like in in Kabul. Yeah. You know, fairly progressive, if you want to call it that. Yeah. As far as Afghanistan is concerned. Totally. And now they are all have targets on their back. All of them. And instantly within the last couple of days, like all the women's schools have closed. Yeah. Been shut down. So there's ramifications there. But just to wrap it back into the non-intervention or the not the um, police. The non-aggression. The non-aggression. Of libertarians. That might be true. And I think I still am fairly on board with that. But we also have to really stay consistent with what it is to be responsible. I have a saying, everything is my fault. And I live by that. People can say that's like a horrible negative thing and whatever, but I truly believe that's how you should think. Doesn't matter if it's your problem, doesn't matter if you caused it. If it affects you, it's your duty to take care of it. That might be delegating it, whatever, but like I approach everything with the mindset that everything is my fault. And that's to not push that onto other people. You can agree or disagree with why we originally were there, but we are there and we've formed allies and we've built schools and we've done all this thing. So now it's our fault and you don't just drop your responsibilities and push it onto someone else. So yes, I agree that you probably don't want to be going and starting wars, but once you do, it's your responsibility. Well, and the reality too is that Biden didn't rush this, this, you know, slap shot and just like ham handed, ham fisted. Mm-hmm. I'm getting my force <laughs> mixed up. But anyways, he didn't rush this out of some like conviction in not being the world police. He, he did it for political reasons. He wanted to be able to say he was the president, president that ended the quote unquote forever war and got us out of Afghanistan and did so by this date. That's, you know, he probably had a press conference planned, right? Mm-hmm. Like he, it was purely political in my view. And, and also this argument that like, well, the process started under Trump and his hands were tied. Bullshit. He's that canceled. Is such a- he has canceled or rescinded on or overruled by executive order 90% of the things that Trump implemented, right? Um, he un- he's undone Trump executive orders. He's, he's actively changing endangered species rules that Trump instituted. You know, there's a whole host. Of, he canceled pipeline development. Like, there are whole sorts of things that, um, all sorts of things, excuse me, that, that Biden has, that Trump put in place that Biden has rescinded on. Mm-hmm. Claiming that, that, that his hands were tied and there's nothing he could do is bullshit. And here's a very, very important thing. Trump announced that he wanted to get out of Afghanistan. He then, because he had a big mouth, was like, yeah, I want to get out of Afghanistan, but like realistically, we're going to be there for years and years. Talking to my brother, talking to all these guys that I know that have either been in Afghanistan or out, we're like, he says that we're going to get out of Afghanistan, but we'll probably have forces there for another five or six years. Mm-hmm. Knowing that it was going to be a step back procedure. And another thing that we're going to have to talk about is the fact that I don't, it's hard to understand what, what the thinking was, but like they left everything. That's what I mean. That's why, well, and then, and then you have to question, 
was was he really this reckless just for political expediency or was there some other incentive at play here? Because because it is bizarre. Why would you pull the military out before you get all the civilians out? Why would you let go of the strategic air base and lock yourself into securing one airport that's in the middle of a city? You know, like there are all sorts of these sort of massive strategic errors that I can't imagine anyone in the military was on board with. Mm-mm. You know, I mean, everyone is coming out of the woodworks now saying like, oh, yeah, we tried to warn him. And oh, yeah, we didn't agree. And oh, yeah, we knew this was a fucking mistake. But somehow we pressed ahead. Why? What was the incentive? Something powerful, clearly, because this mm-hmm. is a huge mess. And yeah. it could really and politically. This could cost him reelection, right? This could cost him this could, his current presidency. Right. It could. I know. So, um, so to me, I don't know. So here's an important thing, because honestly, at the end of the day, the most important thing is what is going to happen to the people. But first, we need to just real quick talk about the fact that we just left and we have computers there. We have now the Taliban is in control of helicopters, tanks, drones, (laughs) missiles. Yeah, we left drones there. All of these things are going to be used against us or the people in Afghanistan. And our allies. Yeah. And, and like, I tweeted this out today, but, like, and this is something that I think, you know, libertarians are, aren't fools. They know this. They're, in, they're willfully ignorant on the subject, in my opinion. <laughs> Geopolitics are incredibly complicated and interconnected. And you can't make one move without it impacting, you know, dozens of others, right? And one example in this situation, the Taliban can't be rooted out because Pakistan gives them safe haven, right? Yep. Pakistan and the Chinese have been in bed together for a long time. China's been investing through its Belt and Road Initiative throughout the Middle East in Pakistan and Afghanistan in particular. Naturally, it's proven to be more difficult for the Chinese than they expected, but they've been investing there. Afghanistan's full of rare earths. They want them. There's about a trillion dollar market in rare earth minerals. In Afghanistan. In Afghanistan. Yeah. China and India are vying for to be like the next major superpower in terms of economic power. We're aligned with India. China's aligned with all of our enemies. There have been clashes um, uh, in the Himalayas in the last several years um, between India and China. India and Pakistan obviously have like ancient blood, you know, bitter battles between the two. Um, and and what us leaving Afghanistan emboldens the Taliban. It emboldens Pakistan and it emboldens China. And if and if and basically the Chinese Communist Party is the puppet master of Pakistan. So if they want to destabilize India. The Taliban and Al Qaeda via Pakistan will poke holes in India and distract them while China continues its assault. And and as China as the sort of 
mouthpiece, the English language mouthpiece of the Chinese Communist Party through the Global Times, which is allegedly like a free newspaper. It's it's just a propaganda piece of the party. They came out and said some really gross statements that you alluded to, Torna, Mm -hmm. um, that I'll read if I can. If you have the exact quote, you should. I do. Yeah. They said, is this so out of the paper, the editorial said, is this some kind of omen of Taiwan's future fate? Once a cross-straits war breaks out while the mainland seizes the island with forces, the U.S. would have to have a much greater determination than it had for Afghanistan, Syria, and Vietnam if it wants to interfere. And then China's foreign ministry put out a statement at a press briefing saying that, um, that the Afghanistan war shows that the U.S. shouldn't interfere in other countries' internal affairs. So China's being bold, right? Mm-hmm. And making clear what they plan to do. Right. And they Invade know, and take over Taiwan. And they know that we won't do a goddamn thing. Mm-hmm. And we've made that abundantly clear. And we've also weakened our allies who were key in helping us deter the Chinese Communist Party from, this, from you know, exerting its power. And, I mean, we've just really laid the groundwork for them to, to move a couple bases. And, mm-hmm. and that's a scary thing. And it's not just scary for us. It's scary for the entire world and for the free world in particular. Mm-hmm. I mentioned this before. This is now the third time that I've mentioned it. There are bad actors in the world that hate America and hate their allies whose purpose is to seek out and destroy them. That's not me being hyperbolic or over the top. Like, that is truly the mentality that some people have. And in the case of Afghanistan, our allies, the Afghan people that have helped us are as we speak systematically being hunted down and executed. I know um a couple people in Montana that have served in Afghanistan or know people that have served in Afghanistan and I know of two interpreters that are currently they're working with I don't know if it's the governor or whatnot working to try and get this interpreter and their families out of Afghanistan to come to Montana hopefully give them a job allow them to live here and be safe. But like there is a kill list that has every person that has aided the United States on it. And they will seek out and execute every single person on that list. It's their mission to do so. And that is our fault. At this point. Yeah. And it's very, 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 very disturbing. Well, and there appears to be, based on statements from, you know, world leaders <laughs> like Macron in France and Merkel mm-hmm. in Germany and Johnson in England, that there appears to be there was no coordination Mm-mm. with our allies who had like skin in the game. You know, they've aided us when we launched these wars and they sent their young people to go die, you know, and they fought and invested money. And we didn't communicate with them that we were going to, like, pick up and leave. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, it's it's that's why it's hard not to do some sort of like appeal to emotion here. But Havoc Journal, which is a great Instagram page, they have great war stories and everything like that. But they just shared a post recently that uh, um, someone who served in Afghanistan just wrote up and he said, like, it's 
you can say that it's a big war machine. You can say it's the military industrial complex, but like the men and women that were serving there, like created bonds and brotherhoods and sisterhoods with the people in Afghanistan. And he wrote an article about how like he had a, a friend who was an Afghani that was fighting beside him that in front of him blew up in a minefield. And he then with a minesweeper had to walk through the minefield and pick up the bits and pieces of his friend who was an Afghani and put him in a sack and then bring it back to the tribe and have a funeral. And then the guy that was minesweeping committed suicide later that year. Mm. Like these people are living it and doing it. And if it's just horrific to just abandon your allies. I'm haunted by the piece cat that you shared with us in our text thread. Um, Mm -hmm. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. That, that guy who had served and he, you know, basically like I can't forgive my country for just like completely turning tail when we're, you know, that was, that was Matt Zeller. Who's the co he served in Afghanistan. He was the co-founder of no one yeah. left behind. Yep. Yeah. His, his interview was really powerful. Um, really, I'm glad you guys, I wasn't sure if you guys had watched that, mm-hmm. but it was super powerful. He was on MSNBC and the host that he was reacting to Biden's speech that he gave and the host you know, was describing it as consequential and claimed Biden owned it. You know, what do you think? And and I was so impressed and and moved by Zeller's response. I mean, he was just honest and forthright and very candid and basically said he was disgusted mm-hmm. and um and that it was shameful. And and then, you know, he made an important point that he and his organization and others in with sort of similar ties to Afghanistan had been urging the administration for months Mm -hmm. to get people out, to get interpreters out, to expedite the whole process for um, what they call them, special immigrant visas Mm -hmm. to get those people out. Um, He claims that there's closer to 86,000 people left in Afghanistan that, that helped us in some way. Easily. And there's 10,000 Americans. Right. I mean, that's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. Um, and, and so again, I come back to why the hell did we do this in such a messy way? Why did we, why, what was it? What incentive was there for Biden to risk his political career? The momentum of the Democrat party, because this is, will derail their negotiating power, right? For their almost everything they're trying to impose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Piss off. Our most important allies in Europe potentially de- for, for sure destabilize that whole region, potentially further destabilize other parts of the world like East Asia. Why it also seemed like, I mean, just wild forecasting like. It I mean, the response we've seen thus far, you know, like. If the dude runs again, I feel like Biden almost just guaranteed Trump is president again. Just oh, because, like, when under the, the helm of the Democratic Party's leadership, we fuck up something this big, implicating this mm-hmm. many lives and this many allies and this many, like, real human beings, you know, now we've created... Mm-hmm refugees in the you know in the span of 10 days 
who are now going to flood into Europe, and Europe is now hundreds of for them. thousands yep. of refugees. Yeah, that. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. and man, if that's not fodder for anyone in the Libertarian or the Republican parties to be like, see what your Democrat did. Vote for me now. You and, know, and, like, of course, I, I want. Yeah, for sure. And I don't think that there is a hindsight twenty twenty way out of this there is no like oh we wouldn't have known it's like people have been talking about everybody knew yeah right and biden didn't you know the msnbc anchor i forget which one it was claims you know biden he owned it no he hasn't he blamed everybody else in that speech and he got angry when he did the interview with stephanopoulos finally the other day He, Mm -hmm. he got pissed you know when he referenced people hanging from the aircraft desperately trying to flee his response was that was four or five days ago. It was two days ago at right. the time of the interview. One and two. That's completely beside the Doesn't point. Doesn't matter if it was a month ago. <laughs> like for Christ's <laughs> sakes, you know. And then he even had the audacity, which that um, Zeller pointed out in his response on MSNBC, that he had the audacity in his speech to claim to put some of the blame on the Afghan army. Right. Mm-hmm. And and I think there is some argument to be made. Like I mean, the reality is the the it's not as if. The Taliban's some small faction and the vast majority of people want like a liberal democracy. Mm-hmm. There's lots of fundamentalist Muslims there that don't want a liberal democracy right. and that do support the Taliban or mm-hmm. some other, you know, radical right. version of that. And this is what we, we'll the talk Afghans. About. But, so, sorry, but the Afghans, their military fought and they took mm-hmm. the vast majority of casualties. They took a hell of a lot more casualties than we ever took yep. in Afghanistan. And they're not getting paid. They're not being fed. They're totally overwhelmed. They also have to think about like their families. I mean, the risk is so much higher for them. Again, and they know we're leaving. Another example. Like, Christ. Another. I think it was another Havoc journal. A picture of some American soldiers and I think it was four Afghani soldiers all fought together. And the guy that wrote the blog just said, hey, I just found out that all four of these guys were executed in front of their house. Hmm. Yeah. <sighs> that week. Yeah. And the other thing is, is like blaming the Afghan army. We gave them old planes. They're in disrepair. And Biden is blocking contractors to go there and help repair the planes. Well, we pulled our contractors out, too. Yeah. I heard that there have been people in this, you know, fog of war, early reporting. We'll see. But what I've heard so far anecdotally is that people have been literally doing like Skype calls yeah, to repair planes. Yeah. To yeah. help talk through how to fix something. I yeah. mean, that's pathetic. <laughs> it's completely pathetic. Um, you know, I think it's worth pointing out and I'm going to point it out and, you know, draw whatever conclusion conclusion you will. I don't have an answer to this, but I think it's a worthwhile observation. We're going to take a quick break, then we'll be back to our conversation. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts. There you can leave us a five-star rating and a one or two sentence review to help others find the show. Thank you to Reagan James for the use of our theme music, The Habit, off her album, Message. Find her work on Spotify and Apple Music. And thanks to Highline Media Network for having us as a founding podcast. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, No Normal People. Do you like to 
you follow any particular morning or evening routines? I think having a routine is actually really beneficial for for me. And I feel like we are creatures of habit. Every day I wake up at four, I make a cup of coffee. I do a Sudoku puzzle. I read. I meditate. I do some stretches and some foundation training. And then um, I shower and go to work. Yeah, that's pretty much my morning routine. And now, back to our conversation. So if you look at what Biden has has done so far in this presidency, he allowed the Nord Stream 2 pipeline to move forward, which gives Russia immense leverage over all of Europe, Germany in particular, but over all of Europe. And it also totally cripples Ukraine because mm-hmm. natural gas exportation was something that that brought a lot of revenue to Ukraine and they've basically been cut out of the equation and that was sort of their lifeline. So he's totally empowered Russia. I mean, this was like one of the single best gifts Putin could have received. And Democrats, Republicans, allies in Europe, not Germany, of course, because Germany wanted this because they've pushed a green agenda and we're importing coal power. (laughs) So anyways, (laughs) they want this gas. But anyway, but it pissed off a whole bunch of people allies people across political aisle um and now what we've done in afghanistan so haphazardly you could argue really empowers china Mm -hmm. again what incentive does biden have to give these concessions to our greatest strategic enemies why it wasn't, a, it was, you know, Biden tried to claim this was part of the plan. It was, that's a fucking messed up plan. <laughs> if it's a plan to empower our enemies and harm our allies, then job well done. Mm-hmm. But I can't imagine that was really a part of America's strategic plan. I don't know. Where's Hunter's laptop? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, come wow. on. It's, the FBI's had it for months. And they haven't done anything with it. I don't know. I, you know. I'm just throwing out ideas here. I'm throwing out a clear observation, and I'm trying to figure out what the fuck the incentive was behind these completely ass-backwards moves. Yeah. Because they didn't appeal or appease the people that we align ourselves with. They've Not helped our enemies. It's helped so the I enemies. I don't get it. It's helped the enemies, and it's now... Going to result in the deaths of thousands of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If we're lucky. Might be more. Right. And um, you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on right now. Like if you've seen some of the photos, I mean, there's bodies everywhere. People being executed on the streets from Taliban. We have I haven't confirmed this, but I've seen now multiple sources saying that they're going around searching people's phones, and if they have a Bible app on their phone, they're being executed on the spot. Searching their homes for Bibles. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's step one. Right. You know? Then it'll be rounding up the women of the appropriate age for to be child brides. And not only that, there's, there's going to be systematic raping of young women and young men. Yeah. Yeah, and young men. That's mm-hmm. an important thing to remember that that happens 
a lot. Yeah. But <laughs> but at least, you know, the the other thing that is creepy is how I don't know if you guys have observed this, but uh kind of the liberal press and and even more so international press, they've been using very careful language and talking about, you know, how you know, well it depends on what kind of government is formed. Mm-hmm. And and it, you know, we'll have to see what kind of government the Taliban forms. We know who the Taliban is. We know what it's going to look like. The people in the country know what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. That's why they're willing to cling to planes to get the hell out. Right. Right. Um, and it's just, it's this, it's so wildly naive. Um, it's this wishful thinking. But your point, what you were just describing, Torna, reminded me of this. There was a, uh, I forget what publication it was in, but a, a, a piece describing the situation and what was to come and speculating on what a Taliban government would look like. And uh, a spokesperson from the Taliban said that they think they should reinstitute the practice of dismembering people for mm-hmm. particular crimes. You know, it'll be, you, it'll you, be, it'll be very similar to a caliphate, like the ISIS. No, caliphates. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, you know, if they cut, if you steal something, then cut off your hand, that sort right. of thing. Um, but the spokesperson said, but we won't implement the dismembering until we have an adequate medical system to attend to the dismembered people right. after their punishment is doled out. So I guess that's the modern version of right. the Taliban. And their spokespeople are on Twitter. Oh, they, <laughs> they're on Twitter. The Taliban gets to be on Twitter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So long as they respect the rules of of twitter what rules yeah god yeah it's scary i want i want to say something really quick people listening we really try hard to have a constructive conversation but it's very difficult i think tonight to to maybe make that happen um i don't think we're setting up a straw man here no (laughs) i think we're we're venting some serious things that need to to be addressed and i don't know if there's any sort of solution here or any, any kind of constructive conversation, but we do strive for nuance and, you know, talking about media using careful language and saying, Oh, what kind of good depends on what kind of government they're going to implement. This is an important conversation about context and the people that say like, Ooh, the needless wars and things like that. I think that's a lazy take. We have seen in other surrounding nations uh, striving for nation building and helping with infrastructure and things like that. But Afghanistan is a very, very peculiar country. Surrounding countries have a hyper majority of populace in cities. Afghanistan is not the case. It's quite the opposite. I think like surrounding cities, the average is like 70 plus percent of people live in cities. Um, as far as like, you know, through Syria and Iraq and everything like that. But Afghanistan is like 17% or something like that. And the majority of people are very divided, very tribal, small, rural kind of things. That's why it's always been a safe haven for terrorism. Exactly. You know, we could go in and help with bridge building in other surrounding countries. We could 
repair, you know, whatever roads, all these things. But like, that's not really even an option in Afghanistan. So the whole mission is completely different. Like you can't really nation build there. It's not an option right now. They're just so underdeveloped. It's just the way it is. I'm sure there's a really good historical explanation to why, right? But for whatever reason, well, <laughs> there's a lot of mountains for one reason, but yeah, geography is a big geography part is a huge part of it. But like, <laughs> there's a very very good podcast that I should link. Uh, Jocko had it, and I listened to it like I don't know three weeks ago. Didn't he? They were talking about Afghanistan and and them serving there and and what it meant. And this was three weeks ago, I remember? So this this hadn't happened yet. And I was like, oh, interesting. Knowing that we were going to pull out of Afghanistan and didn't really understand the context. Very eye-opening. And it's very interesting they had this conversation so recently, but before everything happened. But talking about, like, the mentality. And the thing is, like, we are there trying to nation-build, trying to do these things in a country where that's not necessarily feasible. However, you are seeing the fruits of things like opening schools and trying to promote like, Hey, you should let your girls go to school and, and them talking about seeing the reward of like actually parents being really excited that their girls get to go to school. But on the flip side, they're like, it's not unreasonable to understand why, like in other countries, like things like the caliphate got such a tight hold because like some of these communities are so rural and so underdeveloped that they need like just some very basic infrastructure things like not not even infrastructure just like cultural social things like they need some form of like uh conflict resolution like someone that can judge hmm. they need you know the caliphate came through you know in some other countries and they were popular because like the city the current government like couldn't even take care of trash disposal but the caliphate came in and was like we're really efficient at trash disposal like these really basic things that the military aren't really perceiving. And the other thing you said is like, hey, we're we're here. We don't talk their language. We don't speak their language. We don't share their religion. We don't look like them. Which are three pretty big things when you're talking about building a relationship and respect and rapport in rural communities. And Jocko was making the point that like, we go in, we've been there 20 years, people are like, oh, that's too long. But if you really have a mission to work with the people and help build infrastructure, he said they're so deeply rooted in, like, generational, like, uh, relationship and that tight-knit stuff. He's like, we would probably need to be there for generations. Like, generations and generations of relationship. Like, you're not going to see this in your lifetime. It's going to be your kids' kids' work with the Afghani people to see some sort of progress. And it's just something that we can't really fathom, I don't think. Well, and correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong in my understanding of this, Tornix. I think you have a better sense of, like, the military motivation and, mm -hmm. like, goal. But my understanding is we weren't trying to nation-build no, and ultimately, they, and, and they, we were just trying they, to ensure that Al Qaeda didn't have a safe haven again. True. And they did realize that. And he said, even with working with them, they're like, we would go in and be like, why are you guys doing it? Like, we want you to do it this way, like up to our methods. And he's like, they realized pretty quickly in Afghanistan, like 
No, we're not here to change their culture. We shouldn't be here to change their culture. So let's work around their culture to then come to a compromise on how to do this. But the truth is, is like, yeah, their goal was to basically aid in keeping Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, from coming in and taking over. Because these people might not like Americans, and a lot of them do, a lot of them don't, but like, rule under the Taliban. Not a pretty sight. Well, like I said, there's people who are fundamentalists who Mm -hmm. will support the Taliban, and there are people who um, do want, Mm-hmm. who now have gotten a taste of a modern life and they will be dragged back into the dark ages. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not clean and it's and again it it really pisses me off when our politicians and and again I was so disappointed in the libertarians for taking this approach when we reduce everything to this binary choice cuz it's not a binary choice. It's it it's Every decision involves trade-offs. Mm-hmm. You know, I know I'm very well aware of how wasteful military spending is. You know, I I I want a limited government. I want I don't want to have a massive deficit. Like I get that concern. But we also have to operate in the real world and we also have to recognize that there are very real enemies. And as I said, geopolitics is interconnected. We can't destabilize Afghanistan and expect it to be contained within the mountain ranges of Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. It will not be. It already isn't. And there are ramifications for that that will ripple out and impact our enemies, our allies, and us. Um, Mm -hmm. And to your point at the beginning of this episode, Torna, we do have a responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. It's a cliche, but it's true. You know? Like... You know, I don't want us to necessarily be the world police at all. But again, we do have to recognize that we are a stabilizing force Mm -hmm. and that there are lots of people who depend on us to be a stabilizing force. And if leaving 2,500 troops in Afghanistan was stabilizing enough, if 5,000 troops was enough, we have potentially, I think last I heard it was like 40,000 troops in Japan. (laughs) If we can have 10, you know... (sighs) If tens of thousands of troops stationed without casualties is what it takes to ensure that Al-Qaeda can't launch terrorist attacks around the world and that Europe won't be flooded with an unsustainable migrant crisis and that China won't be emboldened to take over Taiwan and crush India, then Mm -hmm. that's fucking worth it in my mind. You know, it is. And here to go to your point as far as like crushing weight of, of refugees and things like that, like. We made this our problem, so every single person that needs to be taken out of that country should be given silo in the United States. But, yeah, but it's got to be a real vetting process. It, it doesn't. We did this. That's the problem. I know, but And there's going to be consequences of that. I know, but we've opened ourselves. Well, what we've done is, okay, again, it's a trade-off. We've created a situation where if we, if we do just try to take all of these mm-hmm. people... It absolutely will be exploited. And it will. There it will, will be dangerous. With it that. will be, and that's the risk of what we did. Yeah, fair enough. Right. I get. And your it's point. like, you know, and now Biden's like, oh well, yeah, we're gonna let refugees, you know, yada yada. A week after all this has happened, like people are already being murdered. Yeah. Like, too little, too late. But yeah, yeah. we need to let like all those people should be taken care of, 
And the thing is, is like, that's the good, right thing to do. It's our fault. They're welcome. But there's going to be other consequences to that. Like, it's just hard to manage that much of a, there's a huge cultural difference. Mm-hmm. And that's going to have rippling effects within the United States or wherever they take refuge at. It's just a reality. Yeah. And it's like, there are consequences to your actions and there's consequences to your mistakes. But you have to own them and you have to take care of your mistakes. And it's kind of a really unfortunate situation. It's especially, I think, so jarring for the whole world mm-hmm. because we made such massive mistakes in such a short period of time. Yep. It was literally weekend. I was With- on vacation in Idaho and every single time I looked at my phone, there was a BBC News alert and it was like one escalation, one escalation. And then the last one I checked was when the Afghan president fled the country and I was mm-hmm. like, fuck, <laughs> this is, I mean, it was really shocking. And, and I think that the administration was genuinely surprised by, mm-hmm. I think they thought they'd have, you know, a couple weeks or a couple months to create their talking points around it. But instead it was literally like 72 hours. But what's interesting about this, and this is important context. And let's talk a little bit about more ramifications of these actions. Biden put off a withdrawal which, you know, is good. I think a slow withdrawal was kind of everyone's expectation. But then he also set like a hard date, giving months and months of preparation for the Taliban. Right. They're like literally like, okay, we know that they're going to leave on this date. So, okay, we'll just plan. But what worries me is that the, the lazy talking point is like, well, this is good. No more endless wars. We now have a situation where we have... 300,000 Afghani troops that are allies fighting, all of their families are at risk, 10,000 Americans that are at risk, that the Taliban are now killing. The question is, is if they'll um, murder any American citizens. Right. The Taliban's not stupid, but something to think about. The argument is no more endless wars. I don't know if this is going to, this might just start a war. We've created the conditions. The only, we're at a point now where potentially we might have to use military force and we were, to clean and, this up. And as we mentioned before, we were at a position where for over a year we haven't had a casualty. Yeah. We've been there. Minimal as footprint. As you said, minimal footprint. <laughs> yeah. And now it's changed overnight. And now we're in a position where we might be, f- in quote, forced to actually start a war. And the, and the reality is more civilians will always die in a war. Yeah. If you're not willing to kill civilians, you shouldn't be willing to go to war. And it's a despicable reality. Too, man, that just made me really emotional to think about that because like getting re-engaged and re-involved, you know, the likelihood that we have to put like live fire boots on ground again because of how badly this was fucked mm-hmm. up. Like I sat down last night and among um, a handful of uh, family, friends, and acquaintances I know that serve in the military. Um, mm-hmm. I think among like six people I personally know, they have accounted for, if I did my math right, I'm looking at like 17 tours in Afghanistan of people I personally know. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, like one of my uncles has been there six times. And... <sighs> It, this is one, like, I am so 
ridiculously proud of my family for that kind of sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And gosh, oh man, it just fucking sucks that it's, it's of course going to feel like his work, his sacrifice, his education, his leadership, of course might feel like a complete waste of time now. And like the fear it cost my family every time he was there. Mm hmm. Like. <sighs> and if, if we end up in a position where we have to boots on the ground, be in another war, like we've just, we've just completely burnt that bridge. We've just stabbed yeah. our brothers in the back. You know, how yeah. can you, how can you trust someone that just abandoned you? And then who right. knows? Yeah. It's, in a couple months, you're back it, on the ground. It's, it's deeply the, tarnished our well, credibility. Also the and effects, I think, sorry. Also the effects of like the men and women who have fully retired at this point, you know, that are being like, mm-hmm. you know, however shittily they are served by the VA. Like, you know, there, there's, I just, man, I just hurt for all the veterans who were like, what was I doing then? Yeah, why was I yeah. there? Why did my friends why die? Did, yeah, right. Watching Taliban flags fly why did over my our friend, fucking embassy. Why, you know, mm-hmm. like there are American widows that like are completely in their rights to be like, like I lost my husband for this. And I think, I think that's a really... I think the idea that we've created the conditions for us to have to put quote unquote boots on the ground again is potentially very real. But I also wonder, and Daniel Henninger of the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal has a fantastic piece on this um, uh, in today's journal. I wonder how, I think Biden's going to go to any length to avoid that. I mean, if he was willing to rush this and create such a mess because he wanted mm-hmm. to be able to politically say he ended it and got people out. I mean, he already had to send, what, 3,000 troops back in now. And I think I think avoiding avoiding anything well, where... Well, 3,000, then he added 2,000. Okay. So okay. It's 5, so it's 5 now. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but I think he's he's going to avoid any situation where we're going to have, like, hot war. And I think what Daniel Henninger put forth in his piece today was, you know, that the Taliban, it would it would behoove them to allow all the Americans to get out Mm -hmm. and to not provoke like fire with the American military during this drawdown. And he kind of in a tongue in cheek way, but also I think it's a very real possibility. He put forth the idea that like, you know, there's a low threshold to get in to be a, a member of the UN Human Rights Council. You know, I mean, we have known human rights abusers on the council that like mm-hmm. outvote America. You know, we could there could emerge a new world order where like the Taliban is actually recognized. You know, Putin's going to recognize them. And so is Xi Jinping. I mean, mm-hmm. this this what I'm saying long term is like this could really be the start of a totally new world order. That's like fucking terrifying, you yeah. know, that will lead to a hot war. It will, yeah. you know. But as I said before, this empowers China. 
this empower this is expedient for Russia as well. Um, see, we all you already see China threatening Taiwan. You see Russia already poking at various like Slavic all the old Soviet bloc. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. And so you wonder, it's like maybe they'll just you know take an inch if they can all pretend that the Taliban's a legitimate government. Mm-hmm. And if the rest of the world is so desperate to pretend like this giant fuck up didn't happen, that they're willing to go along with it. You know, like if the Biden administration is willing to pretend that mm-hmm. like. When they say they are going to extend human rights, basic rights to women under Sharia law, of course. Right. But, you know. So I, I don't know. It could be a new world order. And that's terrifying. You know, and if we don't do anything, it's empowering propaganda on their part which I have no doubt will lead to an increase in attempts, at least, of terror attacks within the United States. Now they're armed with, as we mentioned earlier, now they have drones, tanks, Apache helicopters, tons of of military tech, like I said, computers. Who knows what's on those computers? Bureaucracy doesn't have a particularly good track record of, you know, keeping and organizing their... We're... Burning web files in the embassy before we left yeah. frantically. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was not an organized drawdown. No. No, it's shameful. Um, and if nothing else, it, you know, as you said, it definitely makes our allies think twice about being able to depend mm-hmm. on us. And it, it's embarrassing. It's we're a stain seeing, on our credibility. We're, also, we're already seeing strains on NATO. I don't like NATO, but like. Yeah. Again. Yeah, they were pissed too. They it's, came out yeah. and were like, what the fuck, America? Yeah. <laughs> we weren't prepared for this. Uh-huh. I know. It's bad. Well, and the other thing too, it's like uh, the British and the French have already sent like soldiers and armed vehicles in to extract their nationals that mm-hmm. are still living there. And Why just, aren't we doing that? And, and just today, I believe... Biden administration was asked if they can guarantee that the 10,000 American stuck in Afghanistan can be removed safely. And they didn't, they refused to comment on it. Yeah. What? Well, uh, yesterday was it, um, it was a, uh, excuse me, let me find the exact name. It was, um, Lloyd Austin, um, who's our secretary of defense said that, uh, that he wasn't sure if we had the capacity to get everybody out and Biden in like a fumbled half ass statement that Stephanopoulos led him into basically said like, we'll stay until we get everybody out. But that's the only direct Mm -hmm. statement that we've gotten on it. The sober minded, you know, defense secretary and and generals have basically said like either no comment or Mm -hmm. we're not sure. Right. That's pathetic. Very, very, very upsetting. So I think we've clearly demonstrated that this has very real ramifications for the world and our world order. And I think, yes, we vented a lot, but I think it was also worth pointing out the lazy take that that uh, Democrats, Trumpsters, and libertarians have kind of all taken together that, well, it was an endless war. We need to get ended at some point. You know, um, I think it was worth taking the time to address that. I think so. And this this does kind of, I, I've got two kind of thoughts. And maybe we should just wrap up a little short tonight. 
and give us another week to think about it. Maybe next week we can give some updates on what happened and maybe we can formulate some new thoughts. I can't wait to listen to this again and see where maybe I slipped up or where my understanding was incorrect or how it can develop in the next week. So I think that'll be really good. But um, a couple important things, you know, on this podcast a lot, we talk about how you should be weary of big government, government influence. I have a ton of respect for the military as far as the service men and women. Like utmost respect. That's not reflective of bureaucracy involved in that. There's a very, very big distinction. In the tie of bureaucracy, the reason why giving government so much control over your lives is really worrisome is really brought to light in this situation. The lives of people are solely determined right now by how quickly the bureaucrats can make decisions. Mm -hmm. This is where when we in our conversation about libertarianism, when we said government has a monopoly on coercion Mm -hmm. and a monopoly Mm -hmm. on violence, this is a perfect example of that. No one has stepped down. No one has been fired. No one has been publicly admonished for making a really bad decision that is impacting tens of thousands of lives, Mm -hmm. real term, leading to deaths. Who do they answer to? Nobody. Maybe people will vote some of these Democrats out. But the bureaucratic establishment, the bureaucratic establishment, though, of like, of just career, you know, uh, office holders that are mm-hmm. appointed to positions and never leave. They aren't accountable to the people through the vote. Those are the people who have monopoly on violence and coercion. Yeah. And that's what's dangerous to individual liberty. I have a quote about Afghanistan that can probably be interpreted in a lot of different ways. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it's I don't know. It's a quote that's always stuck with me that my dad told me when I was a little girl, which you'll hear this and be like, what the fuck? But that was my dad. <laughs> sure. And um, I think it comes from like an old British military like jingle or something. I don't okay. know. There's probably a term for whatever, but I, I don't know what it is. But anyway, the this little saying is. If you should fall on Afghan planes before the women come to pick up what remains. Roll to your side and blow out your brains and go to your God like a soldier. Whoa. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And I think that in my mind, that just speaks to how complicated Afghanistan is and always has been and will be Mm -hmm. for the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. Wow. I haven't thought this much about issues like this. Um, probably until now and uh Mm -hmm. honestly like i've had emotions tonight that i was not expecting um but but i really appreciate you two being so well educated and thought and like keeping yourselves up to date that you can help dumbasses like me learn from what you know even in even if it's real time you know and things dramatically change tomorrow Mm -hmm. yeah i Really appreciate you two tonight. And 
if I might, I might close us with something I'm feeling inspired to give something like a toast. Yeah. So with our glasses to the men and women of America and Afghanistan um, who have served, Mm -hmm. died, I guess we on the whiskey bench, we thank you for your sacrifice and for living according to your convictions and for serving us, for believing in us, and may we do you honor um, because your work mattered, your families matter, and your lives matter. Mm-hmm. Cheers. Cheers to that. Cheers. Oh, you got a tear in my eye, Henning. I, dude, I'm full on crying over here. Thank you for joining us on the Whiskey Bench. If you would do us a favor, please tell a friend about the show in person, with a text, or by sharing about it on social media. You can join us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest, all at Whiskey Bench Pod. And don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Remember, always drink responsibly. And cheers to a fulfilled life with all its beauty. Hello, and welcome to No Normal People. I'm Stephen. And I'm Dixie Lee. The internet didn't need another podcast interviewing the same famous authors, artists, and thought leaders. Dixie, my friend Bailey educated me about a word called sonder, and this is the realization that any stranger or passerby you see has a life equally complex, deep, and vibrant as your own. So join us every Tuesday as we talk to the normal people in our lives and hopefully inspire sonder in yours. No normal people. It's like Humans of New York, but a podcast, and in Montana. Highline Media Network. Normal people in normal places.